0: You have been made for a purpose and given specific gifts to accomplish your mission. This is Requip, and I am Scott Schneiderman. Stay tuned to gain insight to prepare, equip, and empower you to do the work of ministry. Do you have the fear of the Lord? What is that? What what does that mean? Are you supposed to be afraid of God, or do you need to be fearful of him and or from him, or what is this? This is one of those areas that we've been continuing a series of twisted. These areas that we kind of get off course and get mixed up and kind of get sidetracked. But the Bible talks a lot about the fear of the Lord. What is it? Should we have it? And how do we get it? The first of all, we we need to understand, I think that there's a difference between the fear of the Lord and being Afraid of the Lord. What are those? You know, the fear of the Lord, here's a couple of them. Let me just finish with it. it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, repeated multiple times. Job 28, 28, Psalm 11, 10, and Proverbs 9:10. And also, fear of the Lord is his treasure. Isaiah 33, 6. Fear of the Lord leads to life. Proverbs 19:23. And finally, fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Proverbs 14, 26. Moses said to his people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you in order that you may fear him and may remain with him so that you may not sin. Exodus 20, verse 20. This passage, I think, you know, it just sums it up. It kind of gives us that just starting off point. It's a clear distinction between the reverent fear and afraid type of fear. And also again, in Psalm 103, verse seven, talking about Moses, the psalmist recalls back and he says, he made known the ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. See, Moses knew the ways of God, and the masses only simply knew how God acted. Now, the ways refer to the why God does something, but the acts is only what he does. Knowing someone's why is knowing their heart, but knowing their what is being an outside observer, trying to decipher their intent. One thing I've noticed and I've just seen in the scriptures is the closer you get to God, the more aware you are of your own sin. And that kind of strikes something up in you. You know, The, the closer you get to him, you know, we all hear. here, I used to hear people say this a lot of times, you, you know, when I see God face to face, you know, I'm gonna tell him this or I'm gonna ask him this question. No, you're probably not. You're probably gonna worship or be scared to death. Isaiah 6, 5, where he kind of has an encounter with God. You know, Isaiah, a prophet of the Lord, found in the Old Testament, ancient Israel, He would speak for God and God would give him messages. But there was this one time where God just brought him into his presence. And this is what he said. Woe to me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see that when he got close to God, when he got a glimpse of God's glory and how great He is, he just recognized his own sin. When you get closer to perfection, you notice imperfection. Have you ever you ever noticed that when you, when your um, house is kind of a mess, you kind of go into your house and um, you you kind of over time you just sort of get used to oh that sock was left there, oh oh this. You know, I've been meaning to work on this project, but it's kind of over in the corner It kind of bothers you for a little bit But the more familiar, you kind of just get used to it But if you've ever gone to someone else's house And man, it is just perfect It is just clean Um, Everything's tidy There's no loose ends, no loose projects And when you get back to your own house, you're like, man, this is a dump Like, what is happening? And that's sort of a sense of what happens. You know, when we see God, He is perfect, completely perfect. It's only at that point that we recognize man, I am messed up. I am imperfect. I got a ways to go. I am nothing like this being. The Bible talks about God, it, He is like robed in light. He's just like an atom bomb, just blazing light. I mean, just complete perfection and power and glory the closer you get to God, the more you see how great he is. And just like Isaiah, he kind of had a fear, like a reverent fear, like, wow, I am nothing like this being. Yeah, I spoke from him. I I proclaimed his word, but man, when I see him, when I get intimate with seeing his true perfection, it changes me. And I think Exodus chapter 33 is one of those verses that sort of, paints one of those pictures that I think is very valuable. And it really begins to help us understand what is this all about? And Exodus is the children of Israel are exiting. That's where the title comes from, the Exodus out of Egypt. So they, they've they kind of gotten to, um, they believe the promise. They've been taken from out of captivity under Pharaoh in Egypt. And they they were heading to the promised land, but they weren't there yet. They were just exiting and they were kind of there for a while in this sort of holding pattern and God was teaching them things. But Exodus also taught Moses some things. It taught him some things about God. And I think one of those places is Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse three, and it says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey And I will not go among you, lest I consume you and all the way from, you are a stiff-necked people. It's basically saying, stiff-necked, that's just a a euphemism, saying, you're not turning toward me. Like, you're just locked in to where you're trying to go, children of Israel. You're just walking away from me. I'm trying to pull you back to me, but you're not. So, yeah, I'm going to send you up to the promised land. That's what the flowing of milk and honey, that's the promised land, the place where you will have rest from your enemies. It will be a safe place, be a place where you're gonna have your own land because you've been in exile. You've been in slavery for so many years. And God's like, I'm gonna be true to my word. I'm gonna send you to that place where I promised you, but I'm not gonna go. And then continuing down, he gives a kind of an example, I think, of why. If you go down to verse seven, it says, Now, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out and go to the tent of meeting, which is outside the camp. So meaning anybody could go into this tent. It was a tent that Moses regularly went because he wanted to be with God. He loved God. He he just wanted to hear from him. He needed God's direction. He needed his presence. He needed his fellowship. And it makes it clear here that anybody could go there. It was open to anyone and maybe some other people did, but then we get a better picture in verse eight. And it says, whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and each would stand at his own door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. You see how, yeah, this tent where you could be close to God, you could be intimate with God, you could know God, face-to-face, you could really speak to him and and you could have him and you could be in his presence, but they didn't take advantage. They they only knew the acts of God. They knew him from the outside, but Moses knew his ways. Why? Because he spent time with him. That's sort of one of the distinctions there of Moses had the fear of the Lord because he had a reverence. He wanted to be with him. The children of Israel were just afraid of him. They didn't want to get too close to him. Like, God, he's pretty hard. He's pretty harsh. Like, I don't want to get too close. Like, I'm going to be, see my own sin. He's always judging me, telling me about my own sin. But Moses is like, I want to get close to him because I want to strip away all these other things. I want to get rid of all these sins and these things that block me from having a close, amazing, blessed life in him where we are close and we have close fellowship. And then remember earlier on where God was saying, yeah, I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to give you that promise. But then if you go to Exodus 33 down to 15 and 16, and and you notice that fear reveals your desire. And he said to them all, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. So Moses is speaking to God. Like, yeah, you said you're going to send us into the promised land, but don't send us if your presence isn't going to go. I don't want your stuff without you. Or how shall, and it continues, how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight with your people? He's saying, I'll lose all credibility because it's not about my own ingenuity. It's not because I'm some great, amazing leader. I'm a magnanimous figure. It's not because I'm good looking. It's not because I can speak well that people follow. It's not because I'm rich that people follow me. It's because of you. Moses is saying, I have nothing without you. Are you kidding me? Don't, don't go, I, I will not go in there. I'd rather stay in the wilderness with you than go into paradise without you. And he continues and he says, is it not from your going with us so that we're distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And this was a pivotal time in Moses's life. Moses had the opportunity to have good without God. And that's one of the original temptations, even going back to the Garden of Eden where Satan tempted Eve. You can have these good things without God. It's gonna break your fellowship with him, but you get some good stuff. You don't need God. God's only to, he's only there to get you to the good stuff, to get you to what you desire. But Moses realized, and what we need to realize is that God should be our desire. God is our greatest desire. The question is, is that true? Is that true for you? Is God your biggest desire? And finally, fear, I think, brings us back to God. Read in Acts chapter five, one through 11. So the New Testament, we're gonna hear a little bit about the fear of the Lord from the New Testament. And this is where People, I mean, people were being saved and it was amazing. Miraculous signs and wonders and great things were happening. And people found their treasure in God. They had a reverent fear of God. They loved him. You've saved me. I want to follow you. And they would just begin to sell things. Like money didn't seem to have the same hold on them that it used to have, that it had around with everyone else. And we see that in Acts chapter 5. But then there were some people that just wanted to put on a show. They kind of saw everybody else transformed radically. So they said, well, well, this seems to be getting some attention. They're giving all these testimonies. Like, I want to have a good testimony. I want to do some things where people look at me and say, wow, that's a, that's a man of God. That's a woman of God. They're amazing. So this couple decided to do this together. They conspired to do this. So they, they sold some property. They made a little profit. And then they decided to bring their money from, from the sale of the house, but they only brought a portion of it. But they made it sound as if to the apostles and, and the other people around them, the other Christians, that, oh man, this is a sacrifice. I just love God. I sold all of that just so I can give it to the mission of the kingdom. I'm just giving it all. And in that time, the Holy Spirit knew that was a lie. And Peter actually confronts them because the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? And he goes on and tells them that when you sold it, wasn't that your money to decide however it was? He, he's saying, you didn't have to bring it all. God wants you to be a cheerful giver. You didn't have to bring it all, but why'd you lie about it? Why would you do that? Why would you try to lie to the Holy Spirit? Are you trying to impress people or are you trying to do it out of love for God? You're obviously trying to impress people, to show how good you are, how moral you are, how righteous you are. And because of that, the man, Ananias, dropped dead. He he died on the spot. And some people carried him out and and, and buried him. And then a little while later, his wife comes in, not knowing anything that happened to her husband. She comes in and and she's kind of confronted like, hey, didn't you guys give this money and you gave it? You sold this house and you gave it for this much money? It's like, yeah, that much, that's, that's right. That's what we sold it for. And then again, the Holy Spirit prompts Peter, says, why would you conspire? Why would you lie again to the Holy Spirit? Your husband just died. Like God just killed your husband because you lied about this and he's gonna kill you too. And she drops dead. I mean, just think about that. What if... What if when people were unhonest today, but it's because they were in this closeness with God. The closer you, you are to God, the more prevalent, the more uh, you recognize the sin. And then and then what what it says here is that she died, they carried her out. Acts chapter five, verse 11, right after she dies and they bury both of them, it says something so important. And it says, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. That's the fear of the Lord. When you get close to something, you're like, God is real. God has power. Life and death is in his hands only. No one else. He is the most powerful being. There's no one greater than him. That's just an act. That's just an event. But your response is whether you take it as the fear of the Lord, or you're just afraid of the Lord. Because you notice here where it says, and great fear came upon the whole church. We hope that the church, the bride of Christ, the people that are following Jesus, the church hopefully had the fear of the Lord. And it caused them to dive deeper into God, to, to realize he is amazing. He is good. I want to get rid of all this sin. I don't want to hang on to the sin that Jesus has already paid for. He's paid the price for my sin. He, he's he's wanting to take me into the promised land. He, he, He's trusting, you know, we put our trust in Jesus and all our sins are forgiven. So stop carrying it. Stop bringing those back up. Stop living the way that you used to live. Or it says, upon all who heard these things. So, this is the outsiders. These are those that just believe the acts of God. They just see them, they're evident to them, but they're afraid of God. They, they turn away from God. And so that's the question is when you see something, you, maybe it's even in God's word, you read something and it's, it strikes you and it's something about God's character. Are you afraid of him? Do, do you turn away from him? But you get the fear of the Lord, the reverence, and you dive deeper into him. Say, I wanna know you more. I don't even fully understand this, but I love you. You are amazing. Or maybe it's some sort of, uh, it can be even a tragic event. Here here you have what people would say, that was a tragic event. Like people just dropped dead. Two people came in, they died. And and depending on their perspective, think about this. Maybe there's people that weren't there that were impacted by this. They could have said, yeah, people went in there, the pastor was laying into them and uh, they died. Like, that's just their perspective. Like, I'm staying away from that. That is a crazy church. That is, I'm just staying away. Like, God is not there. I, I, don't, I don't know about God. If God would kill these people, like, I, I just don't know about it. And you get a little afraid of them. When you're afraid, you stay away from God. When you have the fear of the Lord, you draw near to God. So I want to leave it on that. And I hope that you do. See that God is real. He is perfect. He is all powerful. He loves you. He sent Jesus on a rescue mission to bring you close to him. Jesus took all the wrath of God and it was poured out on the cross and he died in your place. That, that should put some fear of the Lord in you. Like I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. But, but Jesus rescued me. So because of the fear of the Lord, I want to know God more. I want to serve him. I want to follow him. I want to do whatever he says because I trust his way is best because my way has led me up to the point that I'm at now, has led me up to pride, lust, insecurity, all those things. But God wants you to have the fear of the Lord to dive deeper into him. Thank you for listening to Requip Ministries. For more resources, check out our website at re-quip.org. Make sure you subscribe to get the next one. And as always, follow God's command to always be prepared for action.